So I love that, but on the same token, uh, you guys just set a high standard that no other church will be able to exceed. So it's kind of like everything's all downhill from here because that's the pinnacle of my ministry is people slow clapping my name. Um, but hey, so uh, my name is Brian Berry, and uh, I'm going to talk to you a little bit about Ireland in a second. But first, I don't want to uh, miss out on this opportunity um, to just brag on your pastor and Kelsey. So I've known Logan and Kelsey since uh, about May of 2010. And uh, they are awesome. They're very special people to me. Um, one reason they're super special to me is that I came to their wedding uh, when they got married. And, you know, I thought I'd be a really good friend. And so I got them. They lived in the, in the uh, apartments at Baptist Bible College. So I got them a countertop dishwasher. I was like, that's a pretty sick gift, you know. And so I got it for them, and it didn't fit the countertop. Like, the, the, the shelves were too low. So they're like, hey, this doesn't fit. You can just have it back. I said, okay, like, cool. I never got them another gift. So the gift I bought for them, they gave back to me. I got to use it, and then I never got them anything else. So it's like the most perfect scam I've ever ran on anyone. And so for that reason alone, uh, Logan and Kelsey are very special people to me. Um, but also, I do want to say this, and I genuinely mean this. I have a lot of friends that we went to Bible college with that I know that uh, they love the Lord, they love Jesus, um, but, and they're doing great things for the Lord but if I lived in their community, I'm like, I don't know if I'd want them to, like, be my pastor. I can say this with full confidence. Like, if I lived in your community, it would be an honor for me to have Pastor Logan as my pastor. And I love Logan. I love Kelsey. I love their family. And so I'm super proud of what they're doing. And so I'm thankful that you're here. It's awesome to see uh, what God has done in such a short amount of time. And just to think ahead of what God will do as he continues to use you all. Um, I want to tell you just a little bit about Ireland. Some of you may not know this, but you guys are actually ministry partners with me. Um, this church supports me as a missionary. The way it works is I have to travel around to churches all over the country, and um, each week I speak about what I'm doing, about what God called me to do, and then uh, hopefully churches will, will feel led to support me um, in that. And, and, and your pastor from early on was like, hey, I want Refuge Church to be part of what God's doing in Ireland. And so I'm super thankful for that, and I'm thankful for your partnership on some of your chairs, there's a prayer card. You can take that. You can pray for me. It has my information on it. Um, and so um, it has my personal cell phone number on it. If you promise to use it only for good and not evil, uh, you can keep that. But, um, but I just want to share with you a little bit about what, what I'm doing in Ireland. So I love everything about Ireland. It's a beautiful place. Um, I like to call it the Hawaii of Europe. Um, but um, one thing I love, because a lot of people don't know this, is I have red hair and pale skin. And so the fact of the temperature and climate in Ireland is perfect. God made me for Ireland. Most of the year, it's about uh, 55 to 70. Um, the hottest day ever recorded in Ireland's history was in 1887, and it was 91 degrees. Um, the hottest day they've had in the last decade was 82 degrees. I'm like, listen, this is just heaven for a ginger, you know. Um, and so I'm thankful about that. I love that. But I love the culture of Ireland. I love rugby. I love Irish music. I love all of those things. Um, but none of that stuff is why I'm going to Ireland as a missionary. Um, I'm going to Ireland because there's a country full of people who desperately need to know the gospel of Jesus Christ. Um, this, when I read these numbers, it really surprised me and caught me off guard. But Ireland is the least evangelized English-speaking country in the world. There's an organization called the Joshua Project, and they track the spread of Christianity throughout the world. And in their most recent numbers, based on their numbers and their research, 
Ireland is 1.55% any kind of evangelical Christian. By percentage, that makes Ireland less evangelized than countries like uh, China, Cambodia, Vietnam, and the country ranked just above Ireland at 1.56% is North Korea. The situation in Ireland is, is very bad. It's a very dark country when it comes to the gospel. But there's a great opportunity there. Um, when churches su uh, support me to go to Ireland, I don't have to spend a couple of years learning a new language. In Ireland, they speak English. And so that's a huge advantage going there. From day one, I can begin my ministry. Now, there are some Irish phrases. They do have a language called Irish or Gaelic, and sometimes they like to slip in words here and there, and they take some getting used to. Um, like, for instance, here, if I were to say, like, hey, after church, you know, Pastor Logan and I, we're going to go have some fun, we're going to go have a good time. Like, that's just how I would say that. But in Ireland, they have a word for fun or a good time, and it's spelled C-R-A-I-C, and it's pronounced crack. And so in Ireland, I'd say, hey, after church, Pastor Logan and I, we're going to go have some crack. Do you want to join us? And like the first time you hear that, you're like, no, 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 I don't do that where I'm from. Um, but some of those things take some getting used to. But the awesome thing is from day one, I can begin my ministry in Ireland. And there's a lot of work for me to do there because the doors for the gospel are open in Ireland. We can openly evangelize. We can openly disciple. We can openly have church. Um, and I'm pumped for the opportunity God's open for me. I'm moving to one of the fastest growing cities in Ireland. It's called Drogheda. It's just north of Dublin, about 25 minutes. And Ireland's seeing a ton of growth because companies like Google, Apple, Microsoft, PayPal, eBay, Twitter, Amazon, they've moved their European headquarters to Dublin because it's a very business-friendly country. So when people think about Ireland, they think of people that probably look like me. But the truth is, it's becoming a melting pot of cultures where we can reach the world for Jesus from Ireland. And as people move to Ireland, it's so expensive to live in Dublin that they move out into the suburbs. And the first suburb north of Dublin, the first stop off the train is Drogheda. We're a city of about 45,000 people, um, but we're growing like crazy. And it's estimated in the next 10 years we'll be over 100,000 people in our city. God's opened up the opportunity for me to go work with an Irish pastor. Um, he's, a, he's a former missionary from Ireland, and he did mission work in Armenia. But right now, he's in Ireland pastoring two churches at the same time. Because there's churches that just don't have pastors. And he's like, if no one else will do it, I'll step up and do it. But to pastor these two churches, he lives in Northern Ireland. The reason that matters is every single Sunday, he has to drive three and a half hours round trip to pastor these two churches. And so I'm going to be moving right into the heart of the city where I'll be available to do discipleship, to do small groups, to do outreach, to just minister to the community. And I'm just praying that God uses me to help grow these two churches. And then eventually I'm going to go start a brand new church in Ireland once I can gain my permanent residency. Um, but the opportunity there is great and the need is great as well. And so I'm thankful for your church partnering with me. If you're like, man, I want to go to Ireland. I want to check it out. I would love for you to come on a mission trip. We will put you to work. The two churches I'm going to be working in, we have our own church buildings. One of them was built in 1796 
and the other church building was built in 1860. So if you're like, man, I want to go to Ireland, I want to help out, but I'm not good with people, perfect. If you're good with your hands, we can put you to work. If you're like, these hands have never seen a day of work in their life, perfect. We can put you to work with people. Um, We can also put you to work just going out and passing out information about our church. But however God has individually and uniquely gifted you to serve, um, there's some capacity we could help you uh, serve the Lord in Ireland alongside us. And so I'd love to see you there um, in Ireland someday. And so I'm super pumped that uh, I get to be here with you. Super excited I get to help close out the Summer in the Psalms series. And so if you have a Bible, I'd love for you to turn to Psalm 62. Psalm 62 this morning. When it comes to the entertainment that we enjoy, whether it's movies or TV shows, all of us are really drawn to things that are, that are super relatable. Like back in the 90s, shows like Seinfeld or Friends or Home Improvement or Full House or Family Matters, all of those shows people loved because even if they couldn't relate to the exact circumstances, there were the major themes that they could relate to of family drama or relationship drama or things like that. And all of us are drawn to those things and, and the things that we can relate to mean the most to us. Back in 2020, during the pandemic, the most streamed show on Netflix was not Stranger Things or some crazy sci-fi show, but it was The Office. Back in 2020, on Netflix, um, let's see, 57 billion minutes of The Office were streamed just in America alone. That's 950 million hours. That's 40,000 days of people just watching this TV show about the day-to-day operations of a paper company. But people love it because they they can relate to it. Maybe you've never worked at a paper company, but everybody's had a crazy boss. Everybody has a Dwight in their life, and if you can't think of one, you might be that. But everybody can relate to these things. Everybody's wanted to put a coworker's stapler in Jell-O. We've all wanted to do those things, and it's relatable. And the things that we relate the most to, we come back to time and time again, and it's like this big comfort for us. The reason I bring all that up is that today we're going to look at Psalm 62. And this is a psalm that should be relatable to a lot of you. If nothing else, you can relate to this psalm because this psalm is where your church gets its name from. Look at Psalm 62, 7 and 8. My victory and honor come from God alone. He is my refuge, a rock where no enemy can reach me. Oh, my people, trust in him at all times. Pour out your heart to him, for God is our refuge. See, for some of you, you can relate to this psalm because that's where your church gets its name from. But for some of you, you may be able to relate to this psalm because you're going to be able to relate to the circumstances and the fear and the basically just bad situation David's going through and writing it. Look at verse three and four. These are the circumstances he's writing this. So many enemies against one man, all of them trying to kill me. To them, I'm just a broken down wall or a tottering fence. They plan to topple me from my high position. They delight in telling lies about me. They praise me to my face, but they curse me in their hearts. So you may be able to relate on some level of of this feeling of the enemy closing in, of there being attacks everywhere you look, of people trying to take down your family, take down your job, take down your peace of mind, take down all of these different things, and maybe you can relate to that. Maybe you can relate to this feeling David talks about of being kicked when he's down that may be relatable to you. Maybe you can relate because it's not external attacks, but maybe there's these internal anxieties that you face, these internal sins that you haven't been able to get victory over that seem to try to take you down over and over again. Maybe 
that's the way you can relate to Psalm 62. But what I hope is that by the time we're done today, the way you can relate to Psalm 62 won't be limited to the fact that it's where your church gets its name or that you can relate to being in some dire situation. But I hope you can relate to Psalm 62 because of the confidence that David had in his God in the middle of the storm. In the middle of the adversity, in the middle of the attack, he's able to have calm and he's able to have confidence because he knew the character of God. I want you to listen to this. Adversity will come in your life. It's not a maybe, it's a will. Adversity will come in your life, but how you respond to it will determine the fruit that grows from your life. You don't have an option if you, if you go through difficulties. Everybody's gonna face adversity, but how you respond is gonna de- determine the fruit that will grow in your life. You can respond to adversity sinfully and selfishly, and that's gonna produce, produce fruit of bitterness and doubt and fear in your life. Because hardship in life is guaranteed. Trouble is guaranteed. Adversity will come, but how you respond determines the fruit. And we can all think of people who live life, they are tired, they are worn out, they are weary, they are depressed, they are cynical, they are doubting, they're anxious. And when I said all those words, someone may have come to your mind, and maybe the person that came to your mind was yourself. And if that's you, I'm so glad you're here today. That's why we come to church, to be reminded of the truth of who God is and how we can respond to him so that we can bring our doubts before him, that this is a safe place we can come and say, God, I am weary, I am tired, I am worn out, I have nothing left in me, I need you to fill me. So if that's you today, I'm thankful you're here. But adversity doesn't have to have that effect on us. When hardships come, we can respond to them joyfully. We can respond to them confidently by taking God at his word for who he says he is. And the fruit that will grow in us is faithfulness and peace and strength. Some of you may not know the name Fanny Crosby, but if you grew up in church, you're probably familiar with her work. Fanny Crosby was an old hymn writer. She wrote the song, Blessed Assurance. She wrote the hymn, um, Rescue the Perishing. She wrote over 9,000 other hymns. But one thing about Fanny Crosby is that she was born blind. All the things you and I take for granted every single day, Fanny Crosby never got to experience because she was born without sight. But I want you to listen to what she was, how she responded when someone asked her if she would like to see. And this will, if you're following in the live event, you can look at this, but this is what Fanny Crosby said about her blindness. It seemed intended by the blessed providence of God that I should be blind all my life, and I thank him for the dispensation. If perfectly earthly sight were offered to me tomorrow, I would not accept it, because I might not have sung hymns of praise to God if I had been distracted by the beautiful and interesting things about me. See, Fanny Crosby faced adversity But in her life, it didn't well up. It didn't bring up this bitterness and this anger and this doubt. Instead, she used that adversity to turn to God because she knew the God she believed in. And I want to challenge you today that this same strength, this same confidence in God is available to you and I, but it's only possible if we understand the character of the God we claim to believe in. That's what we're going to look at in Psalm 62. We're going to look at three attributes of God that David writes about, that if we understand these things, we can have a confidence 
in adversity. We can have calm in chaos. We don't have to wait till it's over to have joy. We can have it right now if we understand who God is. So in your Bible, please look in Psalm 62. It'll also be on the screen. I want to read this whole psalm to you. Psalm 62, 1 through 12. Remember, David is writing as he is fearful and he's being attacked, he's being chased, he's being backstabbed, he's being kicked when he's down. And this is what he says, I wait patiently before God, for my victory comes from him. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress where I will never be shaken. So many enemies against one man, all of them trying to kill me. To them, I'm just a broken down wall or a tottering fence. They plan to topple me from my high position and they delight in telling lies about me and they praise me to my face but they curse me in their hearts, interlude. Let all of them, uh, let all, all that I am wait quietly before God for my hope is in him. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress where I will not be shaken. My victory and honor come from God alone. He is my refuge, a rock where no enemy can reach me. Oh, my people, trust in him at all times. Pour out your heart to him, for God is our refuge. Interlude. Common people are as worthless as a puff of wind, and the powerful are not what they appear to be. If you weigh them on the scales, together they are lighter than a breath of air. Don't make your living by extortion or put your, living in, or your hope in stealing. And if your wealth increases, don't make it the center of your life. God has spoken plainly. And I have heard it many times. Power, O oh God, belong to you. Unfailing love, O oh Lord, is yours. Surely you repay all people according to all that they have done. In these 12 verses, it's just a short psalm. If you were to listen to this psalm on your Bible app, it would take one minute and 34 seconds. Not a very long psalm, only 12 verses. But in this psalm, David unpacks a lot of truth about God that would be worthy of spending our time looking at. But we're not going to focus on them, but I do want to mention them. In verse 7, he mentions, hey, God is my strength. In verse 7, he also mentions that God is praiseworthy. In verse 11, he mentions that God is unchanging. In verse 11, he also mentions that God is all-powerful. In verse 12, he talks about the loving kindness of God. And in verse 12, he also mentions that God is judge. But this morning from Psalm 62, there's three attributes of God that David really highlights that he doesn't just talk about here, but he talks about other places in Scripture as well. And I want us to leave today better understanding those attributes of God. Psalm 62 carries some parallel themes to 2 Samuel 22. In 2 Samuel 22, David is running from Saul and his men, and God has delivered him, and David sings this song of praise to the Lord in 2 Samuel 22, verse 2 and 3. It says, he sang, the Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my savior. My God is my rock in whom I find protection. He is my shield, the power that saves me, and my place of safety. He is my refuge, my savior, and the one who saves me from violence. This morning, I want to encourage you from God's word that you as well can have comfort and calm in the chaos you're going through if you'll understand these three truths about God. He is your rock, he is your redeemer, and he is your refuge. First off, I want to look at David declaring that he alone is our rock. In Psalm 62, David twice says he's my rock. Another time in verse 7, he says, he's a rock where no enemy can reach me. 
Think about that. As the enemy is closing in on David, as he's fearful for his life, he calmly and confidently says, I wait quietly before God. For my victory comes from him. He alone is my rock. As I was looking at Psalm 62 and studying it, it hit me that this is not the first time in David's life when there was an enemy coming towards him and it was a rock that he turned to for victory. Early on in David's life, as he's just a shepherd boy, he goes before a giant named Goliath and he's standing before this giant who's mocking his God, who's threatening his people, and David reaches for a rock and this one rock brings him victory against a giant. See, David knew the power of a rock in his life. And here he is with enemies coming towards him and he realizes that God is his rock. God himself is the rock that David is depending on. In life, all of us are gonna go through turbulent times and we need something strong and we need something sturdy to hold on to that's gonna be immovable. And God is that solid, unshakable rock that we can rely on, not just in the bad times, but in the good times. We need to stay close to God even in the good times because God is the foundation and the rock. If you grew up in church, one of the first songs you probably learned as a kid was this song, the wise man built his house upon the rock. And then the wise man, he built his house upon the rock and the rains come down and the floods come up, but the house on the rock stands firm. But in that song, there's also a second man and he's called the foolish man. And the foolish man, he built his house on the sand and when the rains come down and the floods come up, his house goes splat. But that's not just a kid's song. That's actually a proverb or, or a um, parable that Jesus is telling in Matthew chapter 7. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 24 through 27, I want to read this to you. Jesus says, anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise, like a person who builds a house on solid rock. And though the rain come and torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against that house, it won't collapse because it's built on bedrock. The foundation of the rock that the house is built upon is firm. But in verse 26, but anyone who hears my teachings and doesn't obey it is foolish, like a person who builds a house on sand. And when the rains and the floods come and the winds beat against that house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. In Matthew chapter 7, adversity comes to both men. Adversity comes to both the wise man and the foolish man. The difference is that one of them had their life built upon the foundation of Jesus Christ. The other had their life built on a shaky foundation. So when the adversity came, it wasn't, with a, a, it wasn't able to withstand the threats. Storms will come. Hardships will come. Adversity will come. So we better recognize that he alone is our rock. This morning we declared that truth to God through our singing. We said Christ is my firm foundation. We said I will build my life upon his love. We declared to God that he is greater than the mountain. He's greater than the trial. But today, we, if those are just songs that we sing with our lips and we don't mean them in our hearts, we're going to have no victory in our life. They have to go from our mouth to our hearts. So this morning, understand that he is your rock and don't build your life upon a foundation of temporary satisfaction on sinful relationships. Don't put the weight of your burdens on the shoulders of things that were never made to hold it. People can try as best they can to withstand the weight of all of your burdens, but they can't because they were not designed to do that. 
Only God is. God is the foundation. God is the rock. And David understood that, that he alone is my rock. And as the enemy comes, David says, I can quietly wait on God because my victory comes from him, for he is my rock. But it doesn't stop there. He's also our redeemer. I want you to see what David says here. Look in verse 1. Go back to verse 1 of Psalm 62. Psalm 62, verse 1 and 2. I wait quietly before God. For my victory comes from him. Verse 2, he alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress where I will never be shaken. Verse 6 and 7, he alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress where I will not be shaken. Verse 7, my victory and honor come from God alone. God alone was the one to bring victory. God alone was the one to bring deliverance. God alone was the one who was going to redeem because he is my refuge, a rock where no enemy can reach me. Over the course of David's life, there were many times where he needed saving. He faced bears head on. He faced lions head on. He faced giants head on. He faced an angry, demented king who was trying to kill him and sent armies after him. And time after time, David had to rely on God for salvation. He understood that not only is he alone my rock, he alone is salvation for me. And this morning, anything other than God that we are relying on for redemption, whether it be in this life or the next, will not sustain, will not satisfy, and will not save. Because salvation always has and always will only be through Jesus. There's no salvation found anywhere else. Listen to this verse. This is Acts 4.12. There is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. He alone is our salvation. I was listening to a podcast recently, and they were talking about how people think, like, as Christians, we're so judgmental by telling people that there's only one way, that Jesus is the only way, and it would be way more loving if we just let people believe in their own truths. But they illustrated it by this, of how that makes no sense, and the person on the podcast was saying, imagine that we're at an airport together, and someone comes up, and, and they ask you, they say, hey, I'm trying to get home, which plane should I take? And you say, oh, all of these planes will get you home. Just pick any one. They all go to the same place. You're like, really? Any plane? Yep, any plane. Pick whichever one you want. You would walk away from that interaction feeling very happy because I told you to just make your own choice. I would feel so good on the inside because I just said, hey, live your own truth. And that would be good for both of us until you actually picked a plane. And let's say you're, you're expecting to come home, fly back to Oklahoma City, and you just pick whichever plane because I told you, and you end up in Afghanistan or Ukraine like, hey, that person told me to pick any plane. I told you that. I told you to live your truth, but that wasn't actually true. What I told you was actually not loving because even though it didn't challenge your own thinking, what I told you was a lie. And to tell you anything else other than the fact that Jesus is exclusively the means of salvation would be unloving and unkind. Your pastor cares too much about you to let you think you can be saved any other way other than Jesus. This morning, I care too much about you to let you think anything else other than this. Jesus alone can save. And Paul recognized that truth. Salvation came from God alone. He alone is my salvation. So this morning, you need to understand this. He alone is your rock, the foundation you can build your life upon. He alone is your salvation. There's salvation in no one else other than him. But it doesn't stop there. 
we also need to understand that he alone is our refuge. What is a refuge? A refuge is a condition of being safe or sheltered from pursuit, danger, or trouble. I shared this with your pastor last night and it blew his mind. This is a Brian Berry original thought. You can feel free to write it down. You can feel free to record it, splice it up, put it on Instagram. But this is, this is going to blow your mind. I had this thought. Anything less than Jesus is a weak refuge. Oh, you've heard? Oh, okay. Apparently you've heard that before. I know, right? I saw mine blowing up all around. I even made this little thing. I put it on there for you. Here's the deal. Anything less than Jesus is a weak refuge. That's not an original thought with me. That's not an original thought with your pastor because David understood that truth thousands of years ago. Let's look and see what David said. I, I want you to go back to look at verse seven and eight. He says, my victory and honor comes from God alone. He is my refuge, a rock where no enemy can reach me. Oh, my people, trust in him at all times. Pour out your heart to him for God is our refuge. David's declaring that God is the one he goes to seeking comfort. He's the one he goes to seeking security and hope and protection. And he says, when I'm in God, no one can reach me. He's saying this as enemies are literally trying to get to him. He says, listen, God is my refuge. And when I'm safe in his hands, nobody can get to me. But look at verse 9 and 10. Well, first of all, I want you to see Psalm 91 and, and I want you to look at something else. This thought of God as our refuge is a common theme in David's writing. In Psalm 91, verse two, David writes, this I declare about the Lord, he alone is my refuge, my place of safety. He is my God and I trust in him. In Psalm five, verse 11, David writes, but let all who take refuge in you rejoice. Let them sing joyful praises forever. Spread your protection over them all, uh, that all who love your name may be filled with joy. David understood that God was his refuge, but he also understood our tendency to turn to weaker refuges. Look at verse 9 and look at verse 10. After saying God alone is our refuge, David says common people are as worthless as a puff of wind, and the powerful are not what they appear to be. If you weigh them on scales together, they are lighter than a breath of air. Don't make your living by extortion or put your hope in stealing. And if your wealth increases, don't make it the center of your life. See, this truth that God alone should be our refuge is a truth that we cling to quickly with our brains, but it often doesn't make its way to our heart. We try to supplement God with other refuges. We try to supplement God with other salvations. We try to supplement God with other rocks. And that's the recipe for disappointment and not victory. Listen, what I'm about to say, you understand in your head, but you need to understand it in your heart. People, even well-meaning people, will fail you. Your job will fail you. The economy will fail you. Your own body will fail you. Your own mind will fail you. But Jesus does not. He's never failed, and he won't. He alone is our refuge, but that doesn't mean that as our refuge, he doesn't lead us through times where we have to rely on him. Jesus was the refuge for his own disciples, and he led his disciples onto a boat, and he led them out into the water knowing that a storm was coming. And they went through that storm fearful, but God calmed the storm so he could show them in the middle of the storm that he was their refuge. 
Just because he's your refuge doesn't mean that he won't lead you through difficult times where you have to rely on him. When we truly know our God and we know his character, we'll face these storms with the confidence of who he is. My favorite psalm is Psalm 37, and Psalm 37 starts with David saying, hey, don't worry about people who are doing evil or who are wicked or who are doing wrong. Don't worry about them. They'll get theirs from God. Instead, you should trust in God and do what's good. And I know that's easier said than done, but as you continue on through Psalm 37, in verse 25, David writes this, once I was young and now I am old, yet I have never seen the godly abandoned or their children begging for bread. David had gone through a lot in his life. He'd been on the mountaintops. He'd also experienced valleys, both because of his own sins and the sins of other people. But what David understood was that in everything he'd gone through, the ups and the downs, those who rely on God, those who stay close to God, God will take care of. This morning, I want you to be able to live with that confidence, knowing God will take care of your needs right here, right now, in the adversity, in the storm. I want you to know that David learned that God could be a rock by going through times of life where he needed a rock. David knew that God alone was his salvation by going through difficult situations where he needed saving, where he needed to be redeemed. And David knew that God alone was his refuge by going through times when he needed a refuge and by learning the consequences of relying on weak refuges in his life. This morning, I want you to have this confidence in who God is because of his character. He alone is your rock. He alone is your redeemer, and he alone is your refuge. But very briefly, I just want to tell you this, and we'll we'll close in just a second. Cultivating this trust in God, cultivating this relationship with God, it takes work. It's a daily choice to do this. And in Psalm 62, there's five ways, Just and I'm literally just going to walk right through these, of how you can cultivate this relationship and this trust in God. The first is that you have to pursue God personally. David says, my soul will wait in silence. I'm going to do this. Nobody else can develop this in you except for yourself. Secondly, I want you to know this, that you need to pursue him patiently. David says, I will wait in silence. The next thing is this, you need to pursue him alone. He says, God alone is my refuge. God alone is my rock. God alone is all of these things. You also need to pursue him daily. He says, trust in him at all times. You also need to pursue him passionately. Pursue him above all else. This morning, it's very possible that someone is here and you are ready to give up. You are ready to walk away. You are ready to leave. Whether that's leave your family, leave this church, leave your walk with Jesus. You are weary, you are worn out, you are tired. This morning, I just want to challenge you with this. Do not give up on Jesus. Don't give up on Jesus. I'm not going to show you the video this morning, um, but I just want to tell you a story. In 1988, in the World Series, the Dodgers were playing the Oakland A's. The Oakland A's were heavy favorites in the World Series because the Dodgers' best player was injured. And it's game one of the World Series. The Dodgers are losing. They're playing at home, and there's two outs. And there's a man on second base, two outs, and the manager for the Dodgers, he calls on his best player, Kirk Gibson. He says, hey, I want you to go out there. I want you to bat. So Kirk Gibson goes up to bat, and the situation doesn't look good at all. It looks like they're about to lose game one of the World Series because there's two outs. They're down one run, bottom of the ninth inning. 
And with a full count, Kirk Gibson reaches down and hits a ball over the field and right fence. Kirk Gibson hit a walk-off home run to win game one of the World Series. The Dodgers would go on to win that World Series. But what I want to point out is that if you go back and watch the clip, as the ball goes over the fence, you see a set of two red dots. Those red dots were someone outside the stadium listening to the game on the radio, pumping the brakes because they just missed this home run. Someone outside the game listening to it who puts on the brakes because they just missed one of the best moments in baseball history. The reason I bring that up is this. Don't leave the stadium before God's going to do something awesome in your life. You may be tempted to walk away. You may be tempted to give up. You may be so burdened, you're like, I'm done with all of this. I want to encourage you today, don't give up. Lean into God. Lean into what God has for your life. Rely on him as your rock. Rely on him as your redeemer. Rely on him as your refuge. And if you're here today and you're turning to other refuges, repent of that. Say, God, I want you to take those things away from me. I want to rely on you alone. I mean, if you're here today and you don't even have a relationship with this God I've talked about, I just want to challenge you. Talk to Pastor Logan. Talk to me. I want to show you from the Bible how you can begin a relationship with this God. I want to challenge you how you can begin this relationship and cultivate this relationship for a lifetime with this God who loves you and is there for you in the middle of what you're going through.